Okay, welcome back to another episode of Just Another Boso on the Bus. I'm your host, Paul Randack. This week, I'm excited to have on our program, Josh Titister. Uh, Josh and I, we've known each other for, oh my gosh, Josh, I'm going to say two, three, four, four years. Four years. Yeah, took me, I had to climb up quickly as I... <laughs> we've, we've known each other a while. Um, Josh is going to share his story with us today, and we're going to converse about a couple things. Uh, a couple notes before we get into that. Um, I did say that we were going <laughs> to, I did say I was going to have a bit of a holiday e- end of year type program, and I'm actually working on that. I recorded part of it uh, earlier this week with uh, Trip Mitchell, um, and we had a kind of a surprise guest in there. And then um, also um, David Fresconi will be doing part of that. I'll probably make those separate. And then next week on the program, we've got the Bozo Roundtable. That roundtable will be made up of Sarah, Zach, and Alicia. So look forward to that. All right. Again, Josh, welcome. Thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate you being here this weekend, right around the holidays. So, yeah, taking well, some some time to to be with us, um, Josh. You you have really quite an amazing story, um, and one I think that our listen, listeners will be fascinated with. Um, so I'm just going to turn it over to you, and you can explain. Well, these are, this is my terminology. What makes you just another bozo on the bus? Well. Uh, my name is Josh Chittister, and thanks for having me, Paul. You are welcome. Appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this. Um, well, I I live a life in recovery now, and uh, I am a uh, grateful recovering alcoholic, and um, I'm also a very grateful cancer survivor, and those two things. In the last, uh, well, almost decade now, uh, really intertwined. So it's been interesting. <clears throat> so we, when you say a decade, so was it about ten years ago that you were originally diagnosed? You know, not quite. Uh, I think 2011. Okay. Yeah. So close. Getting there. Yeah, it's getting there. It's crazy to think, but yeah, time time moves on. Uh, I don't know. How far back do you want me to go? Well, are you a Salt Lake guy? Did you grow up in this area? or? Uh, definitely a native, yeah. Born in Salt Lake when I was about, uh, I don't know, I guess fifth grade. Uh, we moved up to Camas, Utah, which is a, oh, yeah. sort of a smaller rural community. Um, Beautiful, actually. It's a great place to grow up, really yeah. was. Uh, 99.9% uh, LDS. <laughs> which I was not at the time. Um, but by the time I, I was, a, uh, I think, a sophomore in high school, uh-huh. I uh, I got baptized LDS under my own uh, choice. I, I did. You know, I'm surprised I've known you, you know, for five years. I didn't, four years. I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, my parents, my mother and my stepfather, uh, hardcore hippies, you know. <laughs> and either they were always like, we're going to let our son have long hair and, you know, support him in whatever creative thing he wants to do. Uh-huh. And 
And, uh, you know, what do I do? I come to them when I'm 15 years old and tell them I want to get baptized <laughs> and, uh, and then later would, would, would enlist in the army and, and join the army. Uh, so I'll show you. I'll, yeah. <laughs> kind of the opposite of, right? Because right, how it know, normally goes. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, well, hippies believe in counter counterculture. So you were doing a counterculture on them. That's right. Like, yeah. You know. I've turned it. I flipped, I flipped it on them. Yeah. Uh, but you know, in hindsight, you know, I was a latchkey kid, so both those parents uh, commuted to Salt Lake, and uh, I, if you're not, uh, where are our listeners? Do you? Do they're you all over, all over the place. Over. You know, yeah. I figure if you're in the if you're in the Apple podcast yeah. arena, then this could be all over. So if you're not familiar, you know, this is a mountain town basically, and uh, Salt Lake City, the closest uh, metro area mm-hmm. where all the jobs are really, mm-hmm. you know, that's about an hour each way from Camas. Yeah. Uh, and so my parents each commuted that. And uh, so when I would get home from school, typical latchkey kid, and I'm an only child. So uh, I remember feeling definitely some isolation when we first moved up there. Huh. And that community being so heavily Mormon, you know, mm-hmm. LDS, uh, I think definitely becoming baptized was more just out of uh, necessity, uh, uh, wanting to survival of my social life, wanting sure. to fit in, wanting, wanting to, to be in. able to participate in things from dances to, uh, you know, camping outings and all these other activities yeah. that, that, that happen. Did you uh, do the Boy Scout route? I didn't do the Boy Scout thing, um, but my which is huge here, by the way. In, it is, in our, yeah. In the whole Utah, in the whole and it state. Is, and it is, you know, synonymous with, you know, you can't mention it in the same breath without mentioning the Mormon church. They're sort of, <laughs> you know, right? They're this sure. kind of the same thing here, at least in, in the community here in Utah. Uh, so, you know, that Well, the church, you know, the, 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 the church, they um, developed their own program separate now from the Boy Scouts of America. Is that right? Yes, a few years back. And um, I just heard recently um, on the news, I think, was was that uh, the Boy Scouts of America are, um, I think they're closing down or something. Hmm. I could be completely wrong about that. But so, there's a some some big change is happening. Yeah. And they're not going to be doing the same thing that they have been doing for a long time. And it was surprisingly, interestingly enough, just shortly after... Uh, the whole Utah coalition that was basically overseen maybe indirectly or directly by the LDS church, um, having their own Boy Scout program. Right, right, right. And, you know, I think probably in a lot of communities across the whole country, uh, because it sort of supports that Christian uh, ideal, right, sort of the do good things, uh, you know, certain morals and values. Take part, take, in, take part in your communities, yeah. and sort of things like that. And uh, no, my parents were very, very avid outdoors uh, people. So you know, I was I was backpacking in the winter with them, building lean tos, and uh, you know, uh-huh. hunting, fishing, uh-huh. doing doing it all. Um, to the point where today, uh, I don't really want much to do with all that stuff. I think the first time. You know, <laughs> since I was young, that I did a really good, honest to goodness camp out was that retreat we did in the desert, you know, a while back. Oh, three years ago. Yeah, yeah. three years wow. ago. So uh, I kind of got all that out of my system, you know, <laughs> telemark skiing, you know, we would hike up, you know, uh, eat lunch at the top of the mountain, 
strip wax off our skis and ski back down, oh you know. My gosh. So I grew up doing all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the Boy Scouts, you know, didn't, you, that you, seemed you, like kiddie stuff. Yeah, to you me. didn't really need that. So, you know, the, my friends and, and uh, everybody who were involved in the Boy Scouts, that kind of seemed like uh, kids play. You know, I was doing the real serious stuff. I was, <laughs> I was going out and skinning elk and, you know, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So Your parents sound more than just hippies. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, they, uh, yeah, I don't know what you'd call it, but, uh, you know, they, uh, they smoked a lot of weed. <laughs> Around me. <laughs> I, see. Uh, I see. And so, you know, if I really, and it, you know, it took me going through uh, Wasatch mm-hmm. and really digging into my past and what well, formed my beliefs later on mm-hmm. <clears throat> in life. And I think that that isolation combined with uh, weed being in the house mm. was how I first learned to escape my feelings Mm -hmm. and you know if you'd asked me at the time are you lonely Mm -hmm. i would have probably said no you know i'm i have friends at school and Mm -hmm. you know but outside of school you know i was just home after school and by myself and so and especially in the summers you know when you're out for the summer for those three months sure um so i was smoking marijuana at a young age how, how young were you sixth fifth sixth grade okay that's young that's young yeah so fifth sixth that's you know 10 yeah 10 years old mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. you got you got an early start and i did i did it uh you know completely stealthily <laughs> meaning you know my parents had no clue uh, but and, they were smoking there. I mean, you knew they were smoking. Oh, yeah, right? in front of me. And, and they would say, you know, uh, make sure if you're going to bring a friend over after school or at, at any time, uh-huh. let us know. Okay. You know, give us a heads up so we can, you know, put, <laughs> can, a, put can, a few things away. We'll and put things away, maybe air out. <laughs> spray some air freshener. Right. <laughs> um, so, it, it, you know, I knew it wasn't completely normal. Mm-hmm. But I also didn't think that it was a super bad thing either. Yeah. You know, it was just kind of, it was, it, my, it I knew they could, I knew if, if, if people found out they could, they could get in trouble. Sure. And that's as much as I ever thought about it. So, but it had been normalized. Around yes, you. it had yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. And it's how I, it's, it's how I first learned to escape my, my feelings mm-hmm. and, and my reality. Hmm. Uh, I didn't think of it in that way then, but mm-hmm. of course now I, I can I can frame it in that way sure. for sure. Yeah. You you didn't think you were using it at that age to escape anything probably. Mm-hmm. No. It just seemed like a well, if when anytime anything gets normalized, we we think that that's just what we're supposed to do, right? Yeah. So you grew up around it, it seemed normal and to begin that process then yeah, that that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, and you know, I don't know how normal I thought it was because I definitely kept it super secret no one knew Mm -hmm. my friends didn't know my parents obviously because i thought i would get in huge trouble uh and so not only did it did that that's where i learned to escape my my emotions and my feelings and my reality but it's also where i learned to um for lack of a better word lie you know and 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 later on in my life when i would struggle with alcohol Mm -hmm. 
with my spouse, uh, it became something that I did completely. You know, once it, I realized it was a problem, and she realized it was a problem, it uh, it was something that I did completely stealthily and in dark corners of the house, hiding <laughs> bottles, and okay. and that went on for years and years. And so, the, but I learned the, that behavior. The as, secrets, a, as a young the, kid, the secret keeping and sort of the clandestine lifestyle around the secret the drug keeping or the and, and that that old trope, folks. Uh, <laughs> and you know, I first heard it from Corey, and it stuck with me. Uh-huh. Uh, and and I know it's used throughout recovery, but our secrets uh, keep us sick. Yeah, we're only as sick as our secrets, so and that, it's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> so then you know, I uh, I'm not sure what age it was, but. I started to get involved with kids who were, you know, real bright, uh, you know, Molly Mormons, is as we say, uh, you know, just good kids who didn't really get into trouble. They mm-hmm. were church going from good families, upstanding in in the community, and uh, and so it's, that's also where I first, again, in hindsight, learned what shame was and that's when i started to uh feel feel bad like a bad person for the for the marijuana usage and 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 even for even feeling shame for my parents and who they were because they were so different from all these other kids parents well and they if if you're learning about any type of religion and they don't exactly follow the 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 words or the style or the morals or the mm-hmm. the values of that religion you can probably you began to contrast that mm-hmm. and and that can be mm-hmm. especially at that at, you know the age you were that that could be hard mm-hmm. felt adolescence you know this is when you it sounds like this this began um, you very know, formative deve- yeah. yeah very formative I, I de- you're establishing your identity and that's that's a tricky process just all by itself but when you have such contrasting views happening between your your life with your friends and then your life with your family and you know which one's which one's real which right. one has the most value and right. so I think this is this is pretty normal, right? That mm-hmm. y- the majority of your friends and the people around you, I think ninety nine point nine percent of people followed one particular faith, and you were sort of the outsider. Yeah, but you were close, and you liked these people, and you know, I'm guessing you 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 felt accepted by them as yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. So. And you know my my stepfather he uh you know so my mom divorced my 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 father my my birth blood yeah. father bio uh, dad bio dad <laughs> there you go when yeah. i was uh i think i was three oh, so okay. uh and i st- i i have a relationship with my dad today and I love him very much he lives down uh, in southern utah uh but uh this man my stepfather his name was craig uh he was my dad. You know, mm-hmm. he raised me. He's the man uh, that you knew as a father. He had served three tours in Vietnam. No. And uh, was an orphan as a kid uh, and adopted by a family and, and had had a pretty rough life and, and some trauma from the war. And so, he, you know, he had that going on. He was he kept to himself. He wasn't very sociable. I remember him not even uh, enjoying like family Christmas parties and stuff. Um, and so, 
uh, you know, that again, adding to that, that isolation and of me feeling like I didn't belong in, t- in that community and mm-hmm. with, with the people there. So, yeah, it was almost kind of like living two lives. I, mean, sure. I haven't really thought about it until you, you just mentioned mm-hmm. that. But um, so fast forward a little bit. Uh, I was 15 or 16, and uh, I decided that uh, I wanted to get baptized. And my father, um, my, my bio dad, he lived in Salt Lake at the time, married, um, had, uh, married a woman who had two daughters uh, from a previous marriage, and so they were his step stepkids and and you know he was their dad to them Mm -hmm. you know they still call him dad today sure and uh they were very involved in in the church uh the lds or or mormon church and uh so you know he he'd never pressured me to go to church and get baptized and stuff but he (laughs) certainly was happy when i started to show interest interesting and so um he actually baptized me uh you know where they dip you in the water and do the whole thing and you know now you're now you've been baptized <clears throat> and it was so funny because when i told my my parents my you know my birth mom and, and my stepdad whom i lived with my dad uh he you know they were both like well we can't stop you <laughs> we told you we'd let you do what you wanted to do uh but just don't bring it home you know Fair Res- enough. respect our our space here and right. just you know please don't bring it home i don't want uh, you know, home teachers coming around and, and relief society and all the different things, uh, that come with it. And I said, okay, cool. We got a deal. And so, uh, that's kind of how I finished up high school, um, active in the church. I had, uh, were you thinking or planning on going on a mission? I was for a little while. Yeah. I had a a two or three very long-term steady girlfriends. I never was the kind to, um, date a lot or, 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 you know, fool around a lot. The girlfriends that I had, I only, you know, I only had two or three all through high school and they all were a year or more long. So we're talking more, you got into relationships. Yeah. Exactly. There's a difference between dating relationships, and relationships. Yes, yes yeah. that's right. Yeah. 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 A good distinction. Um, so, uh, the army recruiter came around my junior year as they do to high schools. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I thought "Mm, I'd like, I'd like to serve my country. You know, my dad had my stepdad, a lot of my uncles, uh, it was kind of was something the men in our family did. And, uh, the GI bill sounded like a a pretty good deal. My mom and and stepdad weren't going to be able to send me to college. You know, they, they were pretty, uh, middle-class, you know, at the time, didn't have a whole lot of money. And also, this is another thing I, I, I failed to, to mention, but my mom was going back to school at this time to get her master's degree, her nurse mm-hmm. practitioner. Oh. And so, again, the latchkey kid, she had classes in the evenings mm-hmm. after work. And so, um, anyway. Uh, I'm curious about your your um, your, your uh, stepdad who, yeah. who, had, who had been... Um, in the military, done all the tours in Vietnam, and had you know came back and lived this life a little bit out out you know you were brought up you know not in an urban area at the time you grew up in a, in a pretty rural area mm-hmm. and and taught you a lot about life a lot about you know surviving on your own and and getting through some tough tough times and learning how to navigate through nature in, in different ways. Yeah. Um, 
I wonder how how he thought about you you going into the military after his experience. Did you, did did you guys ever talk about that? We did, yeah. And uh, you know, he was very respectful and said, you know. Again, we support you in what you want to do. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to feel pressured in this. He certainly didn't uh, try and make me lean one way or the other. Wow. That's no. great. Yeah. 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 I mean, my parents were great in that. And, you know, in terms of what I got from him, uh, I value tremendously, you know, uh, uh, responsibility, being a, a, man, a man of my word, uh even down to the little details that you learn, hopefully growing up, like, you know, how to properly shake someone's hand, you know, right? Yeah. how to hold a door for someone, the, the basic sim- things. Actually things that yeah. we probably take for granted that in many ways. That become part of your character. But, but, but real simple. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah. uh, value those things tremendously. And he actually, uh, he passed away. Um, it'll be two years here coming up. Uh he developed pancreatic cancer, and uh, that's that's one of those kinds. And I can mm. say this because I am a cancer survivor, not of pancreatic cancer, <laughs> because that's one of those ones that we really haven't figured much out on that front yet. Not, and that not, unfortunately not, not, is one of those ones that very you low don't survival come back rate. from. Yeah. yeah, and so and 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 his was a, apparently pretty far far along, and and uh, he took his life. Uh, so, but I had lost touch with him for years and years and years before that happened. Hmm. Uh, but anyway, I'm a little scattered now on the timeline. Let me get back to join the army, uh, the army, the military at the time. I don't know if they still do it, but at the time they had a, a, a program called uh, the split option program. And that was where you could go to basic training in between your junior and senior year of high school. And get it out of the way yeah, so that I when you graduated as a senior and you graduated, you could go on to your MOS or military occupational specialty. And that's where you would go and be trained sure. in whatever job you had selected to do for the military. I think you I think maybe the condition of that would be or if you were if you were 18 or not between that season. Mm-hmm. You had because, to be 18. Yeah. Well, so. Uh, I turned 18 uh, in August, um, and I actually was... So I was 17 in basic training. Oh. Which was strange because uh, the drill sergeant made me squad leader, like, third day of basic training. <laughs> slapped, some stri- sla- slapped a chevron on my arm and said, you're squad leader. Uh, and so, you know, I, there was... 20 30 year old guys from all over the country mm-hmm. in there and uh, <laughs> uh maybe that's where i learned to be an effective manager which i still my trade to this right, day right right yeah uh, but uh so that's you know so that here i am back as a senior in high school having gone through basic training mm-hmm. and really felt like i was a man man amongst boys for sure oh my gosh in terms of 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 maturity mm-hmm. and just uh you know, character. One thing that it basic training or or any experience like that teaches you is that you can push your your body and your mind and your will uh-huh. a lot further than you think you can. Right. And so, coming back with that knowledge, um, it was really surreal that senior year. Exploring what once were perceived as limitations get kind of pushed. Mm-hmm. We realize that our limitations are, are a lot of them are in our head. Exactly. At, at basic training, my brother told me the same thing when he did. He did basic training. I did yeah. not. 
was not in the military, but he said you push through a lot of limits. You do that you self-imposed limits, and yeah, you realize that 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 there was no limit, uh, or at least you hadn't found it yet. You yeah. know, so um, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything in the world. I mm. think it uh, it was great, um, and for years and years and years, I I maintained that I thought it should be. Uh, something that all graduating high schoolers should do yeah. Be- because it does teach you, you yeah. know, uh, how far you can actually go and, and, and what you can actually achieve. And, and, uh, uh, I, I no longer maintain that, but I think, uh, an experience like that is certainly good for everyone. Some, some type of where some type of activity or environment in which you get to test yourself yeah. and you're pushed in certain ways within a certain amount of structure to, f- to find out what kind of limits are possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that's really important. I mean, cause we don't, I mean, we, I, we talk about this a lot on this, on this podcast is we don't have a lot of rites of passage, you know, built into our culture much right. anymore. No, certainly we don't and, here. Yeah. And that's kind of what you're talking about. I mean, yeah. we talk about in, 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 you know, religious communities often have some, I mean, like going on a mission or something like that. Mm-hmm. But there's there's no doubt that for a long time yeah, that in our culture, it was joining the military or, mm-hmm. or, or doing that as, as part of life, as mm-hmm. part of nationality, you know, and, and heritage and, mm-hmm. and certain values. And, and, and for many people, that, that still is that way, I'm going to say. Not like it was maybe, you know, 50, 100 years ago, but, but today it's a little bit different. So I can, I can see where I think it would be normal to come up with the idea that everybody should do something like this to sort of test themselves, to find out what they're made of. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it was out of necessity for, for so long. I mean, we could go back to the dawn of mankind, and which this isn't a history podcast, but um, <laughs> I could go there if you'd like sometime. But no. Um, <laughs> no I listen to hardcore history. <laughs> I think it was uh, it was out of necessity, right? I mean, uh, young men, even today in, in indigenous tribes and, and native peoples mm-hmm. still have, you know, these rites of passage. Yes. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, that was certainly out of necessity, you know, from our hunter-gatherer roots up, up until even when, uh, you know, on the frontier, when people were striking out and, and settling new land. Yes. That was still really important for survival. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the, I mean, that whole concept of a vision quest, to be able to go and sort of be one to develop and understand and connect to something so that they develop their own vision for themselves as well, too. Sure. Which is a whole beautiful concept. And there are different ways that can happen. I And I thought I would never say that the military can be one of those in my life. I mean, I look at it much differently today than I grew up because... I grew up a hippie, um, not not having hippie parents. My f- dad was in the military, but I did personally grow up more of a hippie in the '60s, so slightly different. But I, I so I would never con- thought of consider myself that I would ever say those kinds of words. But today, I do look yeah. at this much differently. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it it, it does go down to those basic human. Uh, it, it's very it's very uh, primal, almost. Yeah. You yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. Yeah, and which is part of the reason why I, you know, started the whole desert trip piece too, is getting people into an environment to explore parts of themselves they never even thought. And of I doing. can tell yeah. you, uh, we definitely tapped into that on that desert retreat. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, even if it was just in the middle of the day, you know, what was it, a hundred and 
12 <laughs> degrees or something. I don't know. And there was but not. It's there, warm. <laughs> there were periods where there wasn't. There was no activity planned for that maybe hour or two. Mm-hmm. And it was just you there with yourself. Yes. In this. And the desert has a certain silence, doesn't it? It, it, has, does. it has a it's a deafening it has silence. A speed and a vibe, yeah, 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 yeah. a slow speed and a and a yeah. slower vibration. And you definitely tap into that. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. And the sweat lodge was awesome. But yeah, that's a whole <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Anyway, uh so yeah, our army army happened and simultaneously uh so my my stepdad actually drove out to uh Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, which is where I did my basic training and it's in the Ozarks in uh July and August. It was hot and it was humid and there were bugs. <laughs> and for the first time in my life I saw uh fireflies, which are actually incredibly beautiful if you've never seen fireflies if you're native of utah and you've never been to the you know to the east coast (laughs) or 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 that sort of part of the country um anyway i grew up with them in connecticut so i do understand what you're saying i haven't i haven't seen them for well i when i go back i see them so and my son now lives in long island so i have that i have that opportunity yeah it's definitely one of those magical things. It's something yeah. else. Yeah, yeah it it's a simple thing, but it's, sometimes those are the some of the best things. Yeah. So anyway, um, my stepdad drove out to my graduation, and uh, simultaneously uh, driving back across half the country, I learned that he was having an affair with my mom, uh, with someone other than my mom. <laughs> uh, and so when I got home from basic training, things were not cool between them at all there were there was tension there was you know in in did mom know in three months time she suspected very strongly and dad craig and i had stayed in a hotel room and he had gotten a call from who i could tell was a woman and it wasn't my mom and and so uh in the hotel room one of those nights Mm -hmm. and uh so when we got home my mom asked me you know anything funny happen? You know, does, mm-hmm. was he talking to anybody? Did he meet with anybody? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, he did take a call. He was on this, on a phone call with what sounded like a woman, which I thought was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my mom asked me, I was being honest, Sure, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, right. It is your mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and that kind of, that kind of set things off and led to their, uh, uh, divorce. <clears throat> So, my mom was in a pretty bad place, uh, lonely, emotional, uh, and here I was just ready to start life, you know, out of high school, uh, very confident, you know, ready to, ready to really strike out and, uh, and, you know, here was my mom struggling like this. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of a strange, it was kind of a strange time. I, uh. I ended up going to Dixie uh, College down in uh, St. George, Utah, which is a five, six-hour drive, right? Four. Well, the speed limits now, it's about four and a half. <laughs> four and a half, yeah. Back then, it was it five It used to be, yeah. Uh, 55, stay alive. <laughs> uh, my best friend all through high school and even in junior high, um, he... Uh, he was an, also an only child, rich kid. His parents owned a, a very successful franchise of a, of a successful uh, nationwide business, and mm-hmm. they owned the Utah uh, franchise. And uh, 
they had a ton of money and um his parents were like well hey if you will um you know we'll buy a condo down there for you guys to go to school and josh you can live for free just so that he'll have somebody have a friend there (laughs) and i was like cool right on so uh i went to school down there you know did the whole drive drove up drove the the five hours up uh once or twice a month to rob toilet paper and food from the parent from from my mom basic staples as you do (laughs) yeah yeah as you do and uh yeah went to college down there uh moved back up to salt lake uh I started my retail management career up in uh, the Outlet Mall uh, up in Park City, Utah, which is a big ski ski town, um, hosted in large part the, the Winter Olympics we had here in Salt Lake yeah. a while back. Uh, and uh, so a big shopping center there, and that's where I first started working retail, and I'm still a retail manager to this day. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, that's also where I met my my wife, uh, who is now my ex-wife, um, an Irish girl. She was she was working uh, over here on a temporary visa, skiing and stuff, and uh, and so we we ended up living together. And she her visa ran out, and it came down to. Okay, so we either have to get married so she can stay, mm-hmm. or she goes home and reapplies, and it's going to be a year before she finds out if she can come back. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of made a pact that, well, she's going to go back to Ireland. We're going to do a long-distance thing for a year. And if in a year she gets her visa renewed, she can come back. If she doesn't, and we're still going strong, then we'll get married. So the latter happened. She didn't. We were still going strong. I had gone over there, flown over there a couple times. She had come visited me here a couple times over that year, (laughs) and we were still going strong. And so she came back. We got married. You know, I had a big wedding in Ireland. uh, And did you folks come over for that? Yes. Yeah. And some of my mom's sister and some other relatives came over and they turned it into a big vacation after the weddings they kind of struck off and did their own irish tour um and so the years after that um you know obviously she was the only one here uh and her all of her family all of her people everybody her whole tribe was in ireland so she was here um and she was from a small town over there where everybody knew your business mm-hmm. <laughs> and she really just wanted to get out, you know. And so um Well she don't and she had got a taste of the United States and especially of Utah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Came over here skiing, so mm-hmm. yeah, had, and had we, gotten the greatest snow on the earth in her blood. <laughs> and we yeah, and we certainly uh hit it off. Uh you know, Definitely, at that point in our journeys, we became soulmates. We really had a strong connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, mortgage, three children, two cars, two careers, uh, and that kind of went on for quite a while. But when did you what? what, what? When did you start having kids? How long into the marriage? 
Oh, 2001. Um, about a year or two, year. maybe okay. two years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, in there, uh, in that time, somewhere between when she and I got together initially mm-hmm. and now, <laughs> I, I struggled with alcohol. And that's how I came to know uh, this kind man who's sitting here in this room, mm-hmm. Paul, who I uh, owe a lot to. I just want to tell you how much I appreciate what you do. And um, I, I definitely have lived my life in recovery um, with many of your uh, <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say. It, you've helped me a lot. Thank you. I appreciate. It. I appreciate that. Um, the, all the credit is yours, though. I mean, I, I maybe, and I look at it as yeah. I I hold a container together, you know, with with a with a team of a lot of other people, and you get to do what you want with that container. So, but thank you. I appreciate it. I'm I'm honored and grateful to be part of that journey for you. And now we get to sit here, yeah, <laughs> and and totally reminisce in a different way, right? About all yeah. that, because when you started drinking, things things didn't go real well, of no, course. Yeah. No, no, and not not to mention the, the and issues. you know it's it's really hard for me to kind of put a exact stamp, a date stamp on when I did start drinking mm-hmm. because. Um, I was, I was able to drink socially. Uh, of course, you know, my wife drank, but she was not, she didn't drink alcoholically. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the Irish are drinkers. That is not a false stereotype. No, I, I have, I have Irish friends. I, I know. In fact, most of Europe drinks. Yeah. Uh, and you know, the pub is not a bar. Like we think of here. It's different. No, it's true. You know, during the day, uh, there's kids at the pub. Yeah. It's a, it's it's a, a family, family and community yeah. hub. Yeah. Um, and there's not kids at the pub at, at night. You know, then it becomes more of a party atmosphere. And, and it's more, more like a, a bar then. It's in more of an adult atmosphere. Adult too. atmosphere, yeah. exactly. Yeah, right. um, yeah. But definitely part of the culture. And I really kind of fell in love with that. Uh, and... Uh, I also fell in love with alcohol and having not processed a lot of the things that I had gone through as a, as a kid, as a younger person, Mm -hmm. things that I had pulled a blanket over with, uh, marijuana. And then later that sort of thin veil of, uh, righteousness, by of of being part of a of a church in an upstanding community was also a form of escape mm-hmm. you know yeah and uh and again in hindsight i was still tr- masking all that i was still hmm. not wanting to or not knowing how to confront all that stuff hmm. so in in some way when you say escaping kind of um you know, avoiding certain things. And we're, ta- we're talking yeah, about and one, and one might ask, you know, escaping what? Uh, you, you've got a good, you've got a great career. You've mm-hmm. got a beautiful wife. 
and and not a boring wife some might say exotic you know because mm -hmm. from a from halfway around the world and and that brought brought so much richness to my life you know visiting europe two or three times a year yeah and when we would go and and uh bring the kids you know we would stay at her parents place they had a really beautiful room upstairs for us and uh we would usually strike off uh, grab a cheap Ryanair flight and go to Paris or Brussels or London or mm -hmm. um, even just for a weekend. And so I was able to see, she opened my eyes to a much bigger world. Right, right. Um, because that was her world for a long time, too. It absolutely right? yeah. was her yeah. world. And her father uh, was one of the um, fundamental uh, builders of the Irish airline, Aer Lingus, and he retired with them. And so their family flew for free just about everywhere in the world from when she was a little girl. So she was very well-traveled. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that changes a lot of things. Very sure. well-traveled. And yeah. so that was cool, you know, um, to be able to see the world and stuff. And to this day, you know, my, my children spend their whole summer there. They wow. They fly over and spend the whole summer and come back usually a day or two before school starts well, here. Yeah. And that's been great for them too, because obviously they know that there is a much more to this world than Utah. <laughs> yeah, right. We sometimes get a little sheltered here though, this time of year, especially, um, well, all throughout the whole year, Utah is a vacation tourist destination, recreational, um, haven for a lot of people from around the world. So yeah, it is. we do have a lot of people coming here, but Honestly, when I first moved here, which you know was forty years ago, um, it it was a lot different then than it is today, as far as the influx mm -hmm. of other cultures right. and tourism. I mean, just I mean, Salt Lake County. I just heard last week is for the first time, even though it's been close for a while, actually is now less than fifty percent LDS, which is kind of fascinating when you think of it because we're the biggest county in utah mm -hmm. and um and rightly so i mean salt lake city is much more is 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 has been that way for a while but the when you think of the county you're talking most of suburbia here in right. this valley so right. there, there have been a lot of changes you know and also one thing i will say for the mormon church is uh having all these young people striking out all over the globe on missions you know two-year missions and yeah. coming back here and you know, seeing that there is more to the world out there, and 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 I think uh, um, it certainly could be a lot more closed off than it is. It's so true. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> at any rate, down to the nitty gritty of things, <laughs> I, I I'm not quite sure where it turned into. Um, hey, I like the buzz and the jovi, jovial atmosphere of drinking and having a good time with people. When it switched from that to, I want to feel like this more often, uh, but I don't want to look like a lush. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do it in secret. Right. I want to be this way more often than not, but I don't want to do it. You know. I don't, I don't want people to know that I'm doing it this way yeah, or that I'm feeling this way based beca because I'm drinking. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, I remember when it first came to my wife's attention and, uh, and mine. And I said, yeah, oh my God, I, I think I have a problem, you know, cause I'm doing this more than I'm not. Mm -hmm. 
and I've been keeping it from you. And uh, was she surprised? Of course, she was the first okay. time she was. <laughs> uh, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, the first time she was. <laughs> okay. um, but from that first time, <clears throat> she dealt with it in her own way. Uh, and for her, that was to really just kind of poke her head in the sand a, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she felt a lot of shame. She felt um, shame. She felt okay. shame. Didn't tell her parents about it. My mom knew. Mm-hmm. My mom. I told my mom. <laughs> I think we may have told her together, uh, but her her whole family no didn't know. Um, kids didn't know. Uh, my mother had a f- coworker who was involved in AA, and she hooked me up with him, and he took me to my first AA meeting. Um, Honey's Breakfast Club. Honey's Breakfast Club. For those of you that? out there, big ups <laughs> to Honey's. I think it's still going. Yeah, it is. That's a 6 a.m. meeting. I yeah, think. At, at the end. It's at one the, of those ones at the, what the, is it there on uh, 21st South? And yeah, the behind, fellowship, uh, fellowship Hall. Fellowship Hall, yeah. yeah behind yeah. the, what was it, Duratskiller's Pizza? Something, something like that. Like that. Yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> so um, I became involved in AA and. Uh, I uh, got a sponsor and worked the steps and I uh, got sober and maintained that sobriety for what would later become my average cycle, which was four or five years. Really? Hmm. Uh, and I remember the relapse. It was... It was in Ireland. So this not, is, not a surprise. This is the interesting yeah. thing yeah. is uh, her family didn't, of course, like I said, her, fam- her family didn't know. So, you know, one day I was there and throwing back pints with the best of them. Mm-hmm. And the next day I was like, you know, no thanks, none for me. Well, why? Well, I don't like, you know, my stomach can't handle it. I don't remember what kind of bullshit I said, but we were able to play it off for years. Huh. Josh just decided to not drink anymore. <laughs> I'm for, sure there was for health reasons. So, yeah, <laughs> excuse me. I'm sure yeah. there was a few people who raised an eyebrow, but certainly nothing was ever said. Sure. So, uh, well, because again, you're, you're talking about a culture where alcohol is um, not demonized necessarily, um, and is is part of the culture in many ways. So, mm-hmm. right, right. Um, and the problems are different too. So, um, percentage-wise, if you were, if we were to say that um, most of Europe, not not all of it, but most of Europe doesn't have necessarily the same issues with alcohol because of maybe certain stereotyping mm-hmm. associated with it. Mm-hmm. That and, and and that could partly be because of the culture. When you talk about a pub. We think in you know in Europe it's much different environment. It's much more of a family environment. Yeah. Now I'm not saying those are the only reasons why, but they're definitely, um, and there, I'm not saying that there aren't people in Europe that that have issues with alcohol. There certainly drugs. is AA yeah. in Ireland. Yeah. I've there checked. Sure, and is, there are yeah. alcoholics. In fact, yeah, there are all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> every country, every town. It doesn't discriminate. Everywhere, I'm afraid. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. 
Uh, but not, certainly not the same kind of stigma. And, you know, at all, you know, if you really want to get down to brass tacks, it comes from our puritanical roots here in this country, doesn't it? How, yeah. uh, you know, you look back to Salem and the witch trials and, and you know, you, I mean, we come from such a puritanical uh, place. Yes. Our culture still, you know. You can turn on the television, and it's changed a little over the last few years, cable TV, uh, but you're not going to see nudity, and you're not going to see gratuitous sex scenes, but you'll see all kinds of violence, blood, guts, guns, bodies, you know what I mean? Just watch an episode of The Walking Dead. Yeah. Oh yeah, I totally agree with you. And so that that violence stems is good, from sex our, is bad. That stems from our puritanical <laughs> right. roots uh, yeah. and, and how this country was founded. And I think that just fast forward to now, uh, you're right. You know, alcoholism is just seen with slightly more of a stigma still. I think, sure. uh, and just any addiction really. Yeah. But uh, that's a kind of a different subject. So anyway, well, blue. I mean, I grew up in a blue law state, and so th- there was a certain atmosphere. I mean, Connecticut about when you could buy. I mean, it was regulated mm-hmm. much differently. Obviously, much looser than it is here in Utah. Um, but I remember that. I remember, and you couldn't buy alcohol on Sundays. I mean, which in, when I grew up in. I mean, you could in a in a restaurant, of mm-hmm. course, mm-hmm. but it was it was definitely a different time at a different place. I mean, and and Utah is much. I mean, definitely we are a when it comes to controlling, mm-hmm. um, you know, substances, uh, especially alcohol. We, we we are we are definitely strongly Puritan. Mm-hmm. We we just the whole environment around it here um, has a certain level of shame associated with it, you know? Um, and, and it always has been that way. You know, the the people make jokes about the liquor laws in Utah. I mean, and it's, it's so easy to do because they are a little counterintuitive, generally speaking. I'm not saying what's right or wrong, but we, when you look at the United States, we are probably still the, uh, the odd stepchild when it it comes to a lot of these things. So almost certainly. However, we here in Utah uh, are also very shrewd and business savvy. And so these things are very heavily taxed and the state definitely gets their money from it. They definitely get their money from it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's for that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the relapse, the first relapse was in Ireland. And I remember it still so clearly. Was it just the one time, though, when you drank or? The relapse? Yeah. No. Okay. Right. No, I was back in full. Oh, you went right back in full. Full okay. tilt, yeah. Um, it was her mother's um, 60th birthday, and we all, the whole family, and her family is big, lots of people, had um, rented some holiday homes. They call them over there. I guess you might say uh, nowadays, uh, what is it? not bed and breakfast, but what's Airbnb, Airbnb. Yeah. Right. Uh, an early version of that. Yeah. Right. Um, two or three of them right on the West Southern West coast of Ireland. Beautiful. Many, many movies. We call been, them ski rentals in, you yeah, know, here in Utah rentals, before exactly. Airbnb. Yeah, many, yeah, many yeah, movies yeah. have been filmed there. It is your stereotypical, uh, beautiful Ireland, the Emerald Hills, Mm-hmm. right down to the cliffs and then the sea, mm-hmm. um, cottages, just gorgeous. 
Hmm. Uh, and so everybody was all there to celebrate her mom's 60th. And the day of the birthday, that evening, that night, uh, lots of drinking. In the, we're all in one of the houses. And, of course, there I am. The sober, miserable bastard <laughs> in the corner. Oh my gosh. And uh, I know many people who hear this know exactly what I was feeling at that moment. Uh-huh. Because, uh, well, I just do. <laughs> I've been in enough groups sure. and therapy, and I know that many of us know that feeling. Well, I was feeling that hard, folks. Real hard that night. Finally, I just had enough of watching people be happy and stupid, and I decided I was going to go to bed. Uh, kids were asleep upstairs and I was, I, I just decided to retire. I mean, it was probably 1230. <laughs> it was past midnight. Uh, so I went up to bed and I remember my wife came up and she said, you know, this is kind of a once in a lifetime celebration. Everyone's here. Who knows when the next time all these people will be in one place at the same time. Um, please come back down. Please, please, please come back down, you know. And she was obviously feeling pretty good at the time. I don't think she realized she was putting that kind of pressure on me. Probably not, because she. It came from a. It came from a sincere place. It really did. Yeah, she wanted to be with you too. But of course, all it did was made me feel worse. Right. You know. And different. Yeah. And different. And different. Yeah. 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 So I think I did go down for a little bit, and uh, I remember uh, her sister was trying to get me to sing because, uh, you know, I, I was in choirs all through junior high and high school when we took a couple national championships our choir did mm-hmm. um so i can sing i actually have a good singing voice and her sister knew this and so she was trying to get me to come down and sing her dad was playing the spoons and there was diddly idle music they call it irish people call it diddly idle yeah. music and it is that stereotypical irish drinking music mm-hmm. that you know where there's a fiddle and a little drum and that was all going on so it was great it was great sometimes a violin Sometimes or fiddle, sorry. fiddle, yeah, fiddle. Yeah. I, I, I realized, I, I I realized think, my faux pas there. I think yeah. I said fiddle, but that's okay. You Paul. did, you did. Uh, yeah. So that was happening. Um, you know, any normal person would have been having a great time. That's what I was telling myself. <laughs> so I did. I actually went back downstairs and really tried, tried to make an effort uh, till I thought you know I could slip away unnoticed, which I did. Went up, went to sleep. And the next day, afternoon, late afternoon, everybody was. Uh, down at the pub for a bit of the hair of the dog that bit bit them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, having a few pints sure. to shake off that hangover from the party the night before. And something in me just snapped, switched, whatever, however you want to say it. Uh, and I said to my wife, I'm going to take our youngest. He was still in diapers. He was in his stroller sitting there chilling. I said, you know, we were all sitting out in front of the pub, out on the grass, right mm-hmm. in front of the ocean. It was beautiful. I said, I mean, I'm going to take him up back up to the house, which was just up the hill a little ways, uh, and change his diaper. And so I went back up to the house and uh, uh, went into the room where all the booze was. And uh, I just slammed on a bottle of whiskey. Oh, wow. Just... And to this day, I don't know why or how. I can't actually remember what was going through my mind. Mm-hmm. Other than I'm tired of being miserable, mm-hmm. not being able to participate in so many things. And what was such a big part of th- these people's culture and lives, mm-hmm. you know. Not the drinking specifically. 
I don't mean to say that. No, I understand. Yeah, but it was a, it was a it was a component of it. It was yeah. a, it was a piece of it, mm. and and I can only imagine the anxiety that was well, I can't more than imagine it, but the the anxiety that was coming up, feeling like again feeling different or separate or not completely part of the whole celebration in some way, and that when that anxiety gets to a certain place, it, it almost. The, the anxiety can feel like it takes on a life of its own. It's, uh, And I certainly don't want to say, and I hope I haven't made this impression, that I blame my drinking on anyone. Certainly <laughs> no. not on my ex-wife or Ireland yeah. or yeah. that culture or that specific <laughs> holiday weekend. Uh, it was simply the situation I was in when I made those decisions. Sure. Right. Yeah. So let, let's be clear on that. Um <clears throat> And uh, so we had a big dinner at the house that night, uh, mostly leftovers from the big party the night before. And I was just flying. I was so happy and loose and comfortable and joking and laughing, not drunk, just having a very comfortable time. And it, and it was a big relief. Um, which just reinforced in me that thought of, wow, I'm such a great guy when I've got some booze in me. <laughs> look, at, look at I'm, I'm comfortable. I yeah. shine in these situations. Exactly. So, um, you know, we only ever went over for two weeks at a time. That's all we could afford to mm-hmm. be not working. You know, sure. we used our vacation. And, you know, that was another thing. All of my vacations for those years when I was married were spent in Ireland yeah. and I can't complain like I said we saw a lot of Europe and stuff in between but uh, as it was that's that's where our vacations were spent and so got back home and there we had a liquor cabinet in the house for when we had people over and entertained and, and she would have a glass of wine with dinner and a beer here and there and um, so there were spirits in the house mm-hmm. um, and so I just began a routine of you know drinking those bottles and refilling them or hiding bottles up in the rafters or whatever. But the key to it is that it was absolutely in secret because at this point she knew I had a problem and thought I was sober. Right. So did my mother. Did she know that you drank in Ireland though? No. Okay. Okay. Nope. That was in secret too. I was the only one in the house when I went up there. So, um, and boy, oh boy, is that unhealthy <laughs> yeah. when you when you are uh active in your addiction yeah. in complete isolation and secrecy it compounds things. i can't you know I can't think of a much worse place to be sure yeah it is it that is a hard place to be. Because it's also sort of the fertile ground that fosters and fuels shame because of the secrets. Right. Yeah. And that that just builds up and compounds so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I won't drag us through the... The, uh, the drunk log. Yeah. <laughs> but let's say that I had uh, periods of sobriety after that, uh, followed by uh, relapses. And eventually, it got to the point where um, she said, look, we're done. I'm done. 
I can't, you know, I can't be with someone who is so secretive and, and lying like this. Um, do you, do you think, I mean, I don't know if you've thought about this before and I, I, I don't realize I've never asked you, do you think it was as much the drinking as it was the, the secrecy or do you think the secrecy, it was fueled? more the secrecy than the drinking, right? In fact, I remember her saying to me at one stage, I would rather you be an out-in-the-open drunk. Mm-hmm. I think I honestly could live with that easier than this than hiding deceit. Than the hiding and dishonesty. And the deception. Okay. Because what is more... Uh, I don't think there is anything that is more important to a relationship than trust. Yeah. I can't think... Well, I, I would agree that honesty is the basis of most, um, you know, whether it be personal self-care and well-being or, or relational dynamics. Mm-hmm. Honesty is, the, I, I believe, a, a fundamental to having healthy relationships. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, by all means, especially, so, especially with ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so self-deception doesn't do as much good. Right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, so around 2011... We were, I had lived at my mom's place for maybe about a year after one of my relapses. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- through talking to each other, she and I, and talking to our parents, we all came to the decision that um, even though we were separated, it might be easier on the kids if I s- still s- lived with them. Mm-hmm. And we had the typical mother-in-law apartment downstairs for when her parents were over from Ireland. Okay. And so, you know, I had a space where I could be, mm-hmm. um, but in the, in the house with the kids, able mm-hmm. to get up in the morning, get them dressed, help make lunches, get them to school, after school, homework, all of those things that are so important in young kids' yeah. lives. H- hands-on co-parenting is what you're... Exactly. Yeah. 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 And... It was then that I was diagnosed with stomach cancer. Hmm. And um, started chemo. What did you notice when? I mean, how did how did so it get diagnosed? I had I have a history of gastrointestinal um, problems from when I was an infant. Huh. GI problems, uh, which I'll refer to here forward. Gastrointestinal. <laughs> yeah, it's easier yeah. to say GI. GI. Yeah. Um, Reflex as a baby, ulcers as a, uh, when I was in junior high, I remember ha- having ulcers and, and having to have those fixed and burned in my stomach. They go in and they zap them, you know, uh, taking something like Pepsid or Zantac sure. from as long as I can remember. As, as long as you can remember. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, I knew when I felt a pain in my stomach that felt it, it felt, it felt not like a cramp or a upset stomach. It felt like an actual physical poke from within me. Right. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Something was there. Poke, you could yeah, feel something I felt there. Like a, a jab yeah. inside my stomach. Right. And, uh, so I went to my doctor and I said, Hey, you know, we should probably check this out. And over the years I had had some routine, um, uh, 
endoscopies. That's where they right, stick a right, camera down right, your throat and yeah. look around and see how things are, as well as some biopsies to make sure everything was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had been through quite a few of those routinely over the years, and uh, so we scheduled one. He mm-hmm. went in and had a look and uh, took a took a little snip, a little biopsy, and uh, it was positive. You know, it was cancer. Mm. Uh, so started chemo right away and uh, never had to do radiation. So having cancer in your stomach is one of the best places to have cancer if you're going to have to have cancer. It sounds, it does sound kind of a little counterintuitive for me for that because like our stomach's so involved mm-hmm. with, you know, d- just daily existence as far as, you know, food intake and, you know you know, absorbing nutrients so that, that, you know, that's where everything breaks down. That to hear that is, is a little surprising to me. I didn't, I did not know that. Because if you think about it, you know, if you have cancer somewhere else in your body, maybe your lung, I don't know, somewhere, uh, in your bones, uh, in order to go in and look at it, they got to do surgery. Oh, you're, I guess that's true. Okay. And when it's in your stomach wall, they just go right down your throat with a camera and with a little snipper and, you know, so it really was a blessing. And, um, they were just introducing some new chemotherapy treatments that were able to target some of those specific kinds of cells that are in your stomach wall, also inside your mouth, um, and in your, uh, lower intestines that are the, the very fast growing cells that get replaced a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a kind of a cutting edge treatment, um, and it but it it really took a toll uh, on my physical health, and so I think I was maybe two weeks into the to the chem uh, to the chemo, and I was like laying downstairs on the bed in the house, feeling like I was wearing a lead suit. Oh my! And you know, pale and not eating much, mm-hmm. um, almost from the gate right out of the gate starting that treatment and my wife uh again we were separated not divorced yet Mm -hmm. it didn't take too long for her to say look i can't do this i can't have you here this sick um i don't love you as a partner that way anymore Uh that part of our lives is over right um and you were here for for the kids and right now, I don't have it in me to take care of you and take care of these kids and my job and the house and everything. So I need you to go to your mom's. And luckily, my mom is a nurse, oh. a nurse practitioner. And so I went back uh, to live with, with my mom down in her, in her basement. And she, you know, has, there was a bed down there and everything where I could be really, really sick. And the kids wouldn't have to see me every day. And... Um, That was a hard, really hard. It was hard leaving the, the kids, I'm going to imagine. And it was hard seeing my children not knowing if their dad was going to live. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough one to face every day. Mm-hmm. Because you, wanna, you want them to remain hopeful, but you also don't want to... It's difficult, let's just say that. Yeah. It's a hard one. Sure, and, and, one, and wondering... I mean, kids worry generally about their parents anyway. Mm-hmm. And 
often personalize, you know, so when parents get separated or divorced, they often personalize that in some way. I mean, that's not uncommon. And the same thing with, with illness can get wrapped in there. Not that they personalize that, but just there's a lot going on here. Yeah. There's a lot going on here. So to to see that and feel that and experience that, even dealing with your own illness, I would think would be overwhelming at times. Mm-hmm. Just to, that's probably an understatement, yeah. to be honest. I mean, that probably overwhelming is just the tip mm-hmm. of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, yeah, exactly, Paul. Uh, and I, um, I really wanted my mother to not stick her nose in my illness. I wanted her to be my mom oh. and not my nurse slash doctor. Right. And so I, I set those boundaries with her pretty early. Uh-huh. Um, actually turned really turned out for the best so i drove myself to my to my chemo treatments it was just down the road from her house uh-huh. um and uh twice a week sitting a big lazy boy strap a an iv bag <laughs> to you and uh uh yeah and you know you're sitting there and there's usually like half a dozen or so of these chairs and you're looking down at old young white black yeah everybody yeah. you know it, it doesn't discriminate yeah um and you know you see people get to ring the bell when it's their last treatment and they're on their way out yeah. and they're they're they've won a they've won a battle <laughs> and you get to see people not just come back anymore too <laughs> and it was particularly hard when it was children, you know? Yeah. That's a tough one. So I think I was feeling some something akin to what a soldier might feel coming back from war has lost some buddies. Yeah. Saying, you know, why did I make it and they didn't. Right. Whatever right. that is. PTSD, I don't know. Well, there's definitely PTSD associated with that because it is traumatic. Um, but there's also the remorse or the regret of being the survivor sometimes mm-hmm. you know what why why am i why am i still here and where are my buddies you know why was why did i make it through this yeah, yeah. you know this bright child that's my son's age mm-hmm. you know didn't make it here i am an alcoholic <laughs> <laughs> so the shame was sure strong yeah uh and so i started drinking again i did the absolute best thing a person with stomach cancer could possibly do you're being sarcastic and that is right drench now. my stomach in in uh alcohol. in alcohol yeah yes i'm being very sarcastic yeah, I, don't do that folks yeah, yeah. Uh, so i laid down there in my mom's basement and to my mind i was drinking and dying And this went on for... The consciously, this, these thoughts of... Yeah. That I'm preparing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That I'm... Uh, almost a, a state of... <clears throat> excuse me. Almost a state of acceptance. Yeah. Okay. And... Uh, got... Got an all clear eventually. You know, we thought we had won the battle. And uh, stopped the chemo. 
And right around the time I thought, okay, it's probably time for me to sober up and Mm -hmm. start my life again. It looks like I maybe dodged this bullet. Uh, Went in for a routine checkup, biopsy, and they found some more. So started a whole new round. A new round. Mm -hmm. And uh, were you still drinking? When oh yeah. You, so oh, yeah. You you had, you you were that you had stopped the chemo. You were and they gave you the all clear for that time. I, and so that, at that point, I was looking at uh, uh, the prospect of hey, I should get sober and start my life again. Mm-hmm. A little bit of hope, mm-hmm. and the, and and uh, it was not to be at least not yet. Yeah. Okay. So started a, a a new round of treatment chemo, mm-hmm. and. Uh, now I really thought, okay, now I really am drinking and dying. This is the one. Now I really, okay, this is it, you know. And uh, got the all clear again. So all told, we're in, we're in this about three and a half years. Um, so it was rough. And uh, eventually won that battle too. But... At this point, my health was, you know, I was, I was a skeleton, you know, my muscles had atrophied, mm-hmm. um, and I was drinking so much, like a fifth a day and not eating much, certainly not active. Right. Uh, and so... This this is a, the interesting, probably the most interesting part of, of my recovery story and what brought me to Wasatch. Certainly it is my mom's sister and her husband and um, a couple of my mom's close friends who were close family friends. They, m- my aunt, my mom's sister, she knew I was drinking. Mm-hmm. My mom kind of did too. But knew I was so sick and was just like, hey, we'll deal with one problem at a time. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, anyway, they had planned an intervention for my mom to say, you know, you're enabling him. Like, we got to get him up out of this basement <laughs> and get him sober. You know, he's he's finishing up this the round of treatment. was on the enabling side. Exactly. That's oh. how they had planned it. I get it. I get it. Okay. It was on a Saturday they had planned this surprise intervention. Uh, somehow they came into contact with a a very fine man, an amazing person who's helped me immensely. His name's Tom McCullum. Uh, and Tom was going to and he you know, he's a he's a therapist and uh, uh, has done many, many interventions. Uh, and so he, you know, it was all ready to go. They were going to do it. <laughs> and I, that week, so this was a Saturday. I think Friday I I had decided somehow in myself, hey, I'm going to stop drinking. <laughs> so I just cold turkey stopped. Of course, it would have started again soon. But <laughs> Once you got to unfortunately, day, I, I did two or three. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. I only made it through a day and a half. And uh on the Saturday, the intervention with my mother was supposed to happen. I had a full-blown seizure. Oh! In front of my three kids. Oh! And I remember 
ble- bleary eyes waking up looking at you know emts mm-hmm. and being on a board being hauled up the stairs out mm-hmm. of my mom's basement right um later on woke up in the icu uh and mom told me what had happened you know that i'd had a seizure because uh, you can't drink the way I was drinking and then just stop, stop and cold turkey, expect no. things to, especially in how weak my body was yeah. from the chemo. Because you weren't, you weren't eating much. So your, you, your, your nutritional intake was mainly the alcohol. It was the alcohol. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and my mom said, my mom and, and, and Steve, her husband, who's a wonderful man, uh, both my mother my birth mother and my bio dad are with wonderful people who they will grow old and die with happily. And I'm so happy for them. Mm. And, uh, they are both with wonderful people anyway. So he was there and she was there and they both just looked at me and said, will you agree to go into treatment? Mm -hmm. And I said, please God. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I, there is nowhere else in this world I want to be mm-hmm. than doing that. And so did detox for a week. Didn't do it up at uni. Uh, did it at, I think it was Highland Ridge. It was Highland Ridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then went to Wasatch. So I did inpatient mm-hmm. at Wasatch for um, a little over three months. It was almost three and a half months. Mm-hmm. Followed by three months of sober living at um, Balance House with uh, with Robbie, another amazing person. Mm-hmm. Give a shout out there. Shout out to Robbie. Yep, good good people. Yeah. Um, and uh, when I left Balance House, I um, I knew I couldn't live alone. That would have been a bad bad choice. Right. I needed to keep my connections. And that's something that I learned from you. Um, did IOP um, with Paul um, and the people who I went through the house with mm-hmm. um, and learned up close and personal how important it was to maintain those human connections specifically for me, for me with the people who I had been through the house with and, and lived that part of my journey with mm. so i uh i got a roommate uh a person who i'd gone through the house the whole 90 days with and he, he and i are still <laughs> roommates um we live in a house together and uh are very honest with each other um that's how it works and no uh, getting around that there's no getting around no, that no, no. and uh it was funny because before we did uh, move in together <laughs> he and i brought a, a document <laughs> to the group in ILP uh, because some people were a little skeptical. Yeah. Uh, but we brought a document to the group, almost like a, a list of rules, you yeah. know. Here's what the house rules yeah, are. Kind of like we had in a contract, yeah. kind of like we had yeah. in inpatient house yeah. rules, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we haven't actually looked at it in a long, long time. I don't think <laughs> we really need to anymore, but maybe eventually, you know. <laughs> Something may come up where we might go, hey, wait a minute, wasn't that one of our, you know? Um, you could, you, but the, there's a difference here, too, is that you live that contract. It's, I like the word contract. 
both of you literally signed this document and lived it for so long that you know it you became you took complete ownership of yeah so that's that's also i mean again honesty and commitment yeah and and having values that you you do want to honor your word here and i can't express enough how important it is to have honest open human contact uh you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, one of us will get home from work and the other one will be, you know, sitting on the couch watching TV or maybe playing a video game or something. And if one of us senses that the other is out of sorts or had a bad day mm-hmm. or is surly in any way, surly. Yeah. you know, good, good word, <laughs> right. you pause the game, you pause the music right. and it's like, dude, what's going on? And it turns into group for for a few minutes, sure. sometimes for a couple hours, yeah. until we can unpack it and and move through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we follow up with each other. Um, I also have another best friend who went through the program with us. Same thing. She lives nearby. Um, we're very close. Uh, and same thing with her. You know, um, we call each other out. We talk about it. We work through it. Um, we're all very honest. And those are my two best friends, my two closest friends who I consider family. Yeah. Um, but we also have maintained contact with many, many other people who we went through the house with or were in ILP with. Right. right. Uh, but again, I, I just I can't express enough how important it is to not isolate and to have human connection and if possible with people who are in some kind of recovery, maybe not even a substance yeah. addiction right. recovery, but maybe it's trauma they're recovering sure. from, or maybe it's uh, any number of things. You know, I, I read a book, it's called scatter adapt and remember. And it's, um, it's pretty hardcore science, but it tells the story of, the um, cycle of global extinction events that have happened on our planet through the course of history uh-huh. and almost wiped out life each time. Right. Most recent being the Ice Age. Right. The next one will probably be Donald Trump. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get that in. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. I, 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 wait till you listen to the year-end shows with these guys. Uh, okay. In fact, my... <laughs> The well, half an hour of the first the 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 first one with Trip is it's all on Donald Trump. So um, oh, yeah, because I don't do politics much in here, but it was just like a year end show. I was like, well, what do you want to talk about? And he, <laughs> it's just difficult not yeah. to. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, this it's fascinating book. Uh, it's uh, this woman. I if I could remember her name, but I I can't. Anyway, the title of it is, is Scatter, Adapt, and Remember. Okay. And you know. Very early on, it was it was life finds a way. You know, that's a famous line that Jeff Goldblum says in uh, I think it's uh, Jurassic Jurassic Park, Park right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but it really does, and it doesn't take much, and it just the tiniest little hint of it manages to to sneak through whatever that catastrophic event was. Yes. And then that branches out again, yeah. and all of a sudden the globe is teeming with life. Yeah. And then we get some other big thing that happens, and it, it goes down to this tiny little bottleneck, yeah. and somehow life manages to 
squeeze its way through. Sure. Now we come to human history, and what has always been important in human history is the tribe, the sense of of togetherness. Humans survive Mm -hmm. together. It's it's written in history. It's written in unwritten history before recorded history. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is there is such an important part of us that can only be achieved through us through a group, a tribe, connection with each other. That's community. I I totally agree. Tribe, community, and connection are vital for our survival. Down to brass tacks survival. Absolutely. Not just healthy emotions. Yeah, not just living. Survival. I agree. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, also healthy emotions. But don't you think that that correlates to, I mean, when you look back o- over your life uh, and even, I mean, that, this is why I, I kind of love the story of you, you becoming LDS. I mean, I just love that. I mean, because you you were, you've, you found a tribe there, right? And yeah. it is that, that need to connect, that need to be part of something. Um, and, and it also allows us, you know, hopefully that we can do that in, in vulnerable and, and open and wholehearted ways. And so, um, I, I like this idea and this is what I think, um, and, and maybe the term you used, we were, you, you mentioned this a minute ago, this idea of your community doesn't have to just be with people that are, or have struggled with uh, addiction of substances, um, or alcohol or, you know, th- that kind of thing. They can, people can be in recovery from something completely different. It could be trauma. It, it could be depression, anxiety, but the, this idea of making wholehearted, vulnerable, um, connections mm-hmm. to people and, and have a, a support system with, within a community, a, a sort of lifts us up, but we become something part of something bigger than just us. Right. It, it, it's, it's, it's taking or, or, um, maybe moving away from a less egocentric perspective I wanted to make a joke about Trump, and I just I stopped myself. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, to moving away from a, a, a more uh, uh, becoming less egocentric and and, and more connected um, through vulnerability and accountability and and living a life less from that. I mean, you know these this this terminology: victim stance or victim narrative, right? And and one of you know wholehearted and accountability and responsibility changes yes. that and allows us, even though it can seem really difficult at times. So I think, especially as kids, we're, we are we look we gravitate towards something, you know. It doesn't really matter what it is, mm-hmm. but something that we feel that we're going to be able to connect to. Mm-hmm. That's why I say I love that part right. of your story because it it definitely resonates with that reaching out and finding something. It was a life you know? preserver. Yeah, a life. Great. Okay, let's go with that. Yeah. I like that a life preserver at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, being having people around you who you trust and can get vulnerable with Hmm. i think more than anything is is for me speaking just for myself anyway Hmm. is what it's really about and uh know people who know when i might start to slip into an old behavior Hmm. and who will call me out on it yeah 
uh, I can't think of a more important aspect of getting sober and then living in recovery than changing everything. Yes. Not doing the things that you used to do. And, yes. And if there's a decision in front of you and, and, and you've got choice A or B and one is easy and one is hard, it's almost always going to be the hard one. <laughs> and it's... The uncomfortable the one. The uncomfortable one. Yeah. Um, change, change who you are. It might need to be your job that you change mm-hmm. in order to stay in recovery and, mm-hmm. and stay healthy and, and happy. It, it may take changing who you live with. It may change... It may take changing who your spouse is. Yeah. So yeah, I was going to mention that is it may require changing a relationship like yes. that, especially a primary one. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. often is one of the most difficult parts of, you know, um, self-care. Yeah. You know, yeah. Is, is, is looking and being honest with ourselves about our relationships. And, and, and you know, dove, to dovetail with that, at least for me, is having, again, like I said, people around me who I trust and who I can be vulnerable with and them be vulnerable with me who will call me out when they sense that I might be falling into an old behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. Beautiful. Do you, do you, is there anything else you want to, you, you feel like you want to explore um, in this or do you want to, do you feel like it, we could move on to a couple other things? Yeah. Let's, let's move oh, okay. on. You bet. All right. Um, so one, one of the things I, I, I always feel is important is how, um, you know, the people, the, the guests here to come in, um, is how they, how they find joy and contentment in life, how they, ex- they experience that, that, that sort of deep sense of, uh, of, well, I, I say joy, but you know, of of because happiness is too limiting in in some ways. So, how how do you find that deep sense of happiness or or joy or contentment in life? What 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 brings that? What brings you joy? Right, right. Yeah, um, yeah I, I I had a a friend named Gary who would ask that all the time, mm. and uh, you know, where does your joy come from? Um, then I remember I would answer things like. Ah, oh, you know my kids, or or my career, or you know these kind of things. He would challenge me and say, "No, it can't be something that could be taken away from you. Uh-huh. It's got to be something that is not, you know, it, it, it's something that is not something that can be removed from you or, right. or taken from you. Yeah. It's not. So, ex- it's not external, is where you're going. Yeah, exactly. It's not yeah, something. It's not an external thing. Yeah. Um. You know, money, riches, obviously those things, we all know those won't bring us happiness, right? <laughs> uh, so my shallow answer to that question are things like uh, I, I, I love reading. I love video games and, and manga and anime, huge, huge otaku and all of those things. And those things really do bring me joy. Um, but my, my deep answer to that question is... Uh, seeing my effort whether it be hard work or careful 
consideration or um, uh, effort, I guess, mm-hmm. on my part, uh, show results. Hmm. Um, whether it's time spent with my kids <clears throat> and now years later, I, I'll i hear one of them say, Dad, remember that time when you told me this? It really stuck with me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe it's something as simple as, uh, you know, I, I, even when no one was looking, I, I did the honest thing. I made the right choice, even when I knew nobody was looking. Um, and seeing those kind of things pay off in my life and be rewarding for me, uh, it sounds so cliched, but the joy is in that journey. It's for me, it's doing the right thing that I know is right for me that is the happy and healthy decision and lining a bunch of those up in a row and doing that over and over and over and and seeing the results of it and seeing that, you know, here I am in my life and I don't make a ton of money. I don't drive a super nice car. <laughs> I don't even own the house I live in. But I can tell you that I am happy and I have an incredible relationship with my kids. Uh, My ex and I have done everything within our power to make sure that they are the the focus of our lives right Mm -hmm. now so that they can strike out on their own journey with the best footing possible. Mm -hmm. So to, to, to wrap that up, I think seeing my efforts um, pay off in a rewarding way. That's my joy. Okay. Uh, that's beautifully said. Uh, I, I like the, the, the notion that it's, you, you, I think you tried to explain that I do the right thing, even if nobody's looking or, or dance yeah. like nobody's looking. I, yeah. I don't, I, but there's something to that. That's really, I just, I just think primal to, um, you know, selfless love yes. for self or anyone else mm-hmm. is, is, is not, sco- not scoring, you know, like I did the, you know, I made a good choice here or, or not, but doing it because I know on a, deeply within me that it's the right thing to do yeah. and, 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 and not have to be acknowledged for that necessarily, yeah. you know? Well, so, which maybe is a little different than uh, dancing like no one's looking or whatever, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I still like the connotation. Yeah. Anyway, um, okay, so the, 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 other, uh, the other things that I'm curious about is, um, and I, I use this term Zen zone, like this is kind of what this process is a little bit about, but in, you, in, your, in your life, and, in, and I probably know some of these, these answers already, but how do you connect to that Zen zone within you? What, 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 how, do you how do you do that? That authentic part of... I really do enjoy um, conversation, intelligent conversation, with another human being Hmm. uh that might be one of my favorite places to exist in uh is an interesting conversation with someone connecting with someone it sounds so corny but it's true i really do (laughs) think that um 
also, um, spending time with my children. Um, you know, if you have kids, you know what I mean. And yeah. if you don't have kids, you probably don't know what I mean. And it just sounds cliched <laughs> to you. But, uh, now that my kids are getting older, you know, they are, uh, 12, 13 and 17 and watching them become people. Right. Uh, develop You're you're in early stage development and, 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 and the 17 year old is beginning to actually identify yeah. who they are and what mm-hmm. they like and what they love and what they don't like. And, those and, and, and seeing, um, the the pieces of me that I am now happy to see, and um, I don't I don't like the the word proud of, but for la- I, can, okay. I can't think of yeah. another word. Yeah. Um, parts of myself that I'm proud of, and I see I see them reflecting some of those characteristics, mm-hmm. and and maybe things that I have intentionally tried to teach them mm-hmm. are have become part of who they are now, and that is tremendously rewarding um values that you hold truth yeah. you see resonating in them too. Yes. yes yeah i think that's powerful i think that's really powerful it is it yeah. is um you know my zen zone and then just you know a lot of the the things that i think many of us love a, a sunny day you know warm sun on your face yeah. um I, you know i love the outdoors still uh i really love a good video game <laughs> I love a good. I do know that about you. A good yeah. hard, hardcore, hard sci-fi novel. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. This this is one of the the fun ones I I, I like, um, especially based on a little bit knowing about your journey. Um, what are your thoughts or beliefs about uh, God, the universe, faith, the meaning to life? Yada yada yada. Oh boy, you know my friend. Uh, my best friend and I, she and I got real deep into this one the other night. And before we knew it, I think like two hours had passed. <laughs> uh, I don't necessarily. So just to answer the question, uh, I don't necessarily believe in a God or a, a specific being. Mm-hmm. Um, I do believe that when my physical body uh, ceases to operate mm-hmm. that I have a soul in there that goes on okay uh, I don't have answers to where or what <laughs> that that is um, I am a scientist at heart I, I I hold pretty strong to the belief that everything everything in this room everything on this earth everything in this solar system, to the galaxy, to other galaxies, and to the far reaches of the universe are all made of similar things, stardust, uh, the pretty basic components. I'm sure they are put together in many weird and exotic ways that we can't even imagine, but there's still some basic laws. Uh, We know that there are some basic laws of physics and gravity, for example. We don't understand it. We got no (laughs) clue what it actually is or how it works but we know that it is a thing and that it is a law right um and so there are certain laws as well that i think govern universally across this universe and sometimes i do entertain the thought that it is all a little too perfect (laughs) to have happened just naturally 
<laughs> but I certainly don't assign uh, a, a a grand conductor role to right. any person or thing or mm-hmm. or being. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe in I believe in karma. I believe that you know cause and effect. What goes around comes around. Right. Uh, and um, I think that deep down in my gut, I know the difference between right and wrong. Um, and I try to live my life on on the the side of that that I think is right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do know that. Um, us humans on this planet at least are distinctly different than all of the other beasts in that we do have the dignity of choice and we do experience something called love which is different to every single one of us that word means a different thing and i do i do think that again another distinct thing that us humans have in common is the ability to express ourselves in art as something that the beasts don't do. Oh, I love, I love, I love this. So things like yeah. art and expression and love, that's what makes me believe I do have a soul and I am not just this sack of water and yeah. carbon and whatever else that sits here on this couch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't have answers past that, but <laughs> yeah. I know that there is some, that that is a thing. Yeah. You know, you, Paul, mm. uh, I can feel your vibe mm. sitting here. I can feel your energy. Mm. Uh, and not just you, many people I can. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that that's a thing. Yes. Yeah. By the way, the, the, the thing you were saying about this, about art so I, I i i mean i say i'm a musician i've been playing since music since i can remember six six years old let's say um taught myself how to play the piano and i don't know how i, I just did it i just sat down and did it um i'm not i wouldn't say i'm you know a virtuoso in anything but i i can improvise pretty much anything in some form or another um but there's something about that, about music, that I feel that that it transcends this physical domain, and and is on the soul level. Yes, it's, it's you know I've always liked the term soul music. By the way, <laughs> I connect, I connect yeah. deeply, deeply with music. Yeah, um, it's always been a part of my life since I was born. My uh, luckily, I had cool parents who exposed me to. <laughs> really good music you know dylan the doors zeppelin uh the beatles you know all this great music i had that just i soaked up and and now um i so i'm totally with you there man totally with you there there's just something about that 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 is is, definitely my zen zone for sure and i left that one out so i'm really glad that you reminded me yeah music in the zen zone i I, you and i are on the same page there yeah so that'll bring us to my last the question my last question and um it's it's one i know we didn't talk about beforehand so i apologize if this is gonna um surprise you but if you've listened to the other ones you know that i ask everyone if there were a couple songs in their life that represented their life in some way or if there was a life celebration for them or just something even current that has a, a deep meaning about your journey um are there a couple songs that you have like that josh that 
Yeah. That you, yeah. Perfect. And I'm just riffing here. They're like children. I could never pick a favorite. <laughs> really. Yeah. Uh, my genres, I love all, I sure. really do love music. Yeah. Uh, right now, today, the energy that I'm in, one of my all-time, I'm going to give you two. Okay. One of my all-time and, favorites. And why, and why they... What, why they mean something One of my all-time favorites and my absolute favorite Zeppelin song is Ramble On. Hmm. And, Great uh, song. If any of you out there have read Lord of the Rings uh, and The <laughs> Hobbit, you know the close correlation yes, there. Yeah. Um, uh, Ramble On's a great song. Uh, it's, you can interpret it many different ways. Uh getting through the fight and and you may have some scuffs and some scars but mm-hmm. you're going to carry on you have a yeah. mission um you have a purpose um not all those who wander are lost yeah that's that's beautiful not all not all those that wander are lost and to i mean that the basis of that is keep rambling on i mean yeah. keep going that's right because that- there is tremendous hope and joy and dignity in just getting back up. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Okay. The other one uh, is a Prince song, and I'm a huge Prince fan and have been since I was a boy. Uh, again, that's something I listen to on headphones sometimes uh, in that community because Prince was kind of seen as a weirdo. He still was. <laughs> may, may he rest in peace. Uh, musical genius. Uh, anyway, uh, but but I can remember being on the. I played basketball in high school. Yeah, uh, in that in that school. Uh, the schools that you competed against, we were a 2A school. Uh-huh. Uh, and at least here in Utah, those distinctions just are, are basically how big your school yeah, is. There's the 1A, size of the 2A, population, 3, 4. Right? It goes up to 5, I think. And 5 is the big, big, big yeah. high schools. Yeah. We were 2A, really small. So in our region, we had schools like, um, oh, geez, who did we have? Uh, oh, man, I can't even remember any of them now. They were far flung, though. Mm -hmm. Um, We had to ride the bus and sometimes even stay in a hotel just to go play basketball and come (laughs) back the next day to play other schools and other far flung these little communities. And I can remember being there on the bus, you know, driving through the night with my headphones on, listening to Prince, thinking if these other guys knew I was listening to Prince right now. (laughs) I do consider myself one of his hugest fans. Um, And... um, May he rest in peace. But he, off the album uh, "Sign of the Times," there's a song called "Adore," mm. and I think it's probably maybe the best thing he ever did. Mm. Every sound you hear, every instrument, every voice, everything there is him. Yeah, and it is one of the most ultimate expressions of art that I can think of. I would put it right up there with a Rembrandt or um, mm. a beautiful opera or or anything else in this world that's wow. been created by humans that is truly beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Wow. The track's called Adore, and it is on Sign of the Times. Sign of the Times. All right. Beautiful. I am I'm, I'm a Prince fan as well. Um, I've always admired him as a musician. And, you know... Was uh, I got turned on to Prince real early, and I think it's because his music always was so soulful. I 
I mean, it just felt so alive and pure. And it always, you know, it blew me away that he played everything and yeah. did it all. I yeah. mean, ev- everything. And um, so, yeah, I'm I'm on the same same page with you. With that, so, all right, Josh, thank you so much. I I'm so grateful that uh, you spent this, this couple hours this afternoon with us. And our listeners. Um, I would, uh, sorry, Paul, uh, would be remiss if I didn't um, give gratitude uh, to my mother, my parents, Mm. my aunt and uncle, uh, all of my family, friends, who've given so much and been so supportive and who I know love me so much and I am important to them. Mm. And uh, they're all very important to me. Uh, so namaste namaste is it, uh, and thank you I was going to say is there anything you wanted to say about the holiday season as we go out at the end of this year well you <laughs> yeah. know I mean anybody who's in recovery for addiction mm. knows that you know this time of year and especially when you're living in sobriety and recovery it can kind of suck sometimes mm. so um, you know I just hope that everybody has a, a safe place to be to celebrate uh, where they have people around them who they trust and can be vulnerable with and don't feel like that miserable sober bastard sitting in the corner uh, because you know that's no place to be either yeah you're sober but you probably shouldn't be in that situation yeah find a place reach out find a place where you can be uh where you can where you can trust yeah. open up and be comfortable yeah 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 and, and <clears throat> that also goes to if you know someone out there who's also struggling right now it's okay to reach out to them too on this day the worst thing you can do <laughs> is is not reach out so uh, true. Yeah. yeah i mean don't yeah. don't isolate <laughs> Reach out! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Thanks, I appreciate Paul. you coming out. And by the way, Josh told me, and I realized that, you know, we I go out with, I say Joan Osborne, um, but I must give credit where credit is due that, yeah, we do, uh, uh, we do go out with the same song every week. Um, but the truth of the matter is this song was written by Prince. So. Her her version is my favorite. Yeah, it's it, it great. Is. It's a classic. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Prince Prince wrote that song. All right. Have a great week. Uh, we'll see you guys next week um, with uh, the Bozo Roundtable, and of course this week also there'll be a couple shorts about the end of the year, and I hope you enjoy those as well. Have a good week. Thanks. Thanks. Happy holidays.